Hello, everyone, and welcome to a bonus episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs, as well as a very special guest this week. We've got Mike Sigrist on the line, 2014-2015 Player of the Year, three Pro Tour top eights to his name, and a member of the MPL and Rivals Leagues. Welcome, Mike Sigrist, to Lords of Limited. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, super, super excited. When I went to message Siggy on Twitter to see if he wanted to come on the show, I was reminded that I think over a year ago, maybe even longer, I had reached out to him to see if he wanted to be on the show and life happens and coronavirus happens and, you know, th- things get in the way and we're very excited to to get you finally on the show after many, many years of wanting to get to pick your brain about Limited. So super happy to have you here. Oh, I'm happy to be here. I will say I definitely miss Pro Points and I'm excited to be able to steer <laughs> the draft conversation this time and just saying, oh, man, I hope Pro Points is about draft this week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was super fun. I, re- I think one of the last episodes I remember was with Andrew Cuneo talking about There Is Beyond Death. And I remember listening to that at the gym of the hotel at GP New Jersey <laughs> before playing in that uh, limited event, that limited GP in New Jersey in January of what was that now? Almost two years ago. Yeah, God. that, that might have honestly that might have been the last episode. I, I don't, I don't, I know the last episode had Andrew on it, and then COVID hit and all that. Just the best content. Just Andrew, like Sam Black, being like, "I think this rare is fun to play around," and Andrew Cunio being like, "That rare is trash." <laughs> you know, just that, that back and forth was just delightful. Yeah, I, Andrew was was. I think he was the only guest we ever had actually but yeah <laughs> he uh yeah he was awesome i mean when you got three power players big hitters like you sam and paulo you don't you don't often need someone else to come into the mix um but we're super excited to get to hear your thoughts on limited it's early in crimson vow now get to hear your thoughts on that format and i think a great place to start would be to take a look at a draft log here get a little round table action so ben why don't you kick us off with this draft log you got yeah so this is one of my drafts here so pack one pick one you got the following cards as options there's wolf strike two and a green for an instant target creature control gets plus two plus oh until end of turn if it's night then it deals damage equal to its power to target creature you don't control there's a lantern bearer blue for the one one with flying and it has disturbed for two and a blue to give a creature you control plus one plus one flying there's Gift of Fangs, black for the aura, enchant creature, enchanted creature gets plus two, plus two as long as it's a vampire. Otherwise, it gets minus two, minus two. Blood Petal Celebrant, one in a red for a two, one, has first strike as long as it's attacking, and whenever it dies, you make a blood token. Moving on to the uncommons, there's Thirst for Discovery, two in a blue instant, draw three, then discard two unless you discard a basic land card. And rare in the pack is Patchwork Crawler, one in a blue for the one, two zombie horror, and you can pay two in a blue, exile target creature card from your graveyard, and put a plus one, plus one counter on Patchwork Crawler. And it has all activated abilities of all creature cards exiled with it. Okay, so before we ask Siggy here what he would take out of this pack, this rare is just pure trash, right? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I haven't <laughs> I haven't played with it yet. I've opened it and been like, maybe I should try it, and just have never actually gotten around to it. It does seem like just kind of bad. Uh, I, I don't know if it's unplayable, but it's not particularly good. No, I don't think so. Okay. I mean, it has power and toughness, so I guess it can't be like a, a, a true F. But yeah, yeah it, I, it's also like kind of a mana sink later in the game or whatever. Um, sure. But yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's not really anything special. All right. So second question is, what would you take out of this pack? What do you like? Uh, I would take Thirst for Discovery. Um, I like being able to just draw more cards. I mean, you you, you guys know my deal. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. I, I want card advantage and cards that trade for more than one card in general. So Thirst for Discovery for me, for sure. Yeah, I like Thirst here as well myself. I'm generally down on like just like raw card draw or whatever, like pure card draw. Yeah, like that 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 rare the the five mana draw three or cleave draw three. It reduces your hand size. Mm-hmm. 
that like I kind of like thirst better than that. Like that card feels a little junkier to me. Um, also the like scattered thoughts, the like look at top four, pick two to put in your hand, pick two to put in your graveyard. Like thirst feels like it edges all those out. Thirst feels a little special in terms of how cheap it is. Definitely agree. Uh, the, the, yeah, I've had the the draw three sorcery a couple times now, and it's honestly quite obnoxious when you can't cast it on turn three or whatever. Uh, we're right. trying to hit land drops and stuff like that. So definitely agree. I think thirst is is a cut above the other card draw. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's it, the rest of this pack is just kind of weak uh, overall. So full disclosure behind the scenes here, I selected a blood petal celebrant, which is one in red for the two one first strike when it's attacking. And I got bombarded by both Ethan and Siggy. <laughs> Siggy says, do not draft gift of fangs. And yeah. I have a firm no gift of fangs rule for myself because I keep putting it on my opponent's vampires. Do think it's probably playable if you don't do that. Here's a question, though. Is Lantern Bear better than Thirst or more unique, more important than Thirst? Because I feel like if you want ways to draw cards for three or four mana, like Thirst for Discovery is not that much better than the common lets you see four cards right well have, have you seen my uh recent tweets about one mana one ones i i, I do think lantern bear is <laughs> lantern bear is good I, I i was actually that's like one of the commons that when i first saw it i was like wow this is actually a good one mana one one so yeah i just think the thirst leads you to being able to be a little more open with what you're going to do that said there's not that many directions you can go in this format, un- unfortunately, but still, um, it- it's quite possible that you are right. That if I, when I draft more, my blue decks will be way more like aggressive or, uh, need lantern bearer more. Um, and then I'll, I'll switch and, and maybe by the end of the format, I'll start taking lantern spirit. But for right now, I still just do kind of my nuts and bolts thing of draft card advantage and removal and creatures that give me uh, effective card advantage if possible. So I feel like because of all the little nuggets, I feel like you're sprinkling through your comments here. We're going to maybe bob and weave between our like show note questions Mm -hmm. and this draft log. So I want to sort of like put a pin in the draft for now and ask a couple questions here of you, Siggy. First, as you you just said, you feel like there's not much to do in this format. Yeah. Or, or, or the, so can you expand on that? Like, what do you think is what you maybe quote unquote should be doing slash the things you shouldn't be doing or why is it narrow, et cetera? So there's not a lot of very interconnected synergies and stuff. It's kind of just the cards are either good at a raw power level or not. There, there's not like any kind of archetype that I'm uh, specifically trying to draft when I'm in a color combination. For instance, uh, blue-red is one of my favorite decks to draft. I mean, I've only done maybe 15 to 20 drafts at this point, but I've drafted it three Mm -hmm. or four times, and it's looked different every time. It's been aggro deck that's all all a bunch of... like One one of my favorite ones was a bunch of Lantern Spirits, and or or Lantern Bearer, rather. The one-mana Voldaren that makes a blood token. Yep, Voldaren Epicure. So like those cards synergize well together, and then I had that rare... I I don't think I drew it very much. It's like a a curse that kind of... Oh, yep. So it was just a bunch of one-drops and flyers and stuff with that thing. Nice. That was... I mean, it was fun or whatever, but then I've had the complete opposite direction where I'm blue-red control with all instants... Uh, a couple of cheap blockers, the 3-3 three, three Defender for two mana. So I don't know. I don't really feel like when I'm in a color combination uh, that I'm specifically looking to do this one thing necessarily, um, unless it's like, you know, a- aggressive. There's there's no like th- theme, I guess, is what I'm saying. Not like last format where I was trying to draft, you know, Disturb when I was in blue-white or, or whatever. I can draft uh, blue-white in a couple of different ways in this format. Yeah, it does feel to me... We just recorded our, our first episode for this week uh, a couple hours ago, and I feel like color pairs in the set, you can do the sort of prescribed thing. Mm-hmm. 
you know, red, blue can be non-creature spells matter, but the, it also can just do a lot of different things as you're saying, you know, it can be hyper-aggressive, it can be more controlling, it can have a higher, you know, theme of, of blood and things that synergize with blood or not. You know, I, I do think that that's true for a lot of the color pairs for sure. The other thing that I've, I've seen you tweet about, and, and we'll get to the, your thoughts about one mana, one, one's unlimited <laughs> later perhaps. But uh, one of the things I saw you tweet was you were just like, I know all I know is I lose when I draft green. Yes. <laughs> Horrifically. Yeah. Uh, so, so you will you will not be providing a different perspective on green in this format to what Ben and I believe. It sounds like. Oh yeah, I, I so I haven't consumed any content of this format at all. Um, so mm-hmm. you, I haven't I haven't looked at any data. I haven't uh, heard anyone else's opinions other than you know random Twitter stuff that we uh, we probably all see. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, green. I've tried it, and the the problem is in general. I usually really steer myself towards green and i like decks like blue green self mill and stuff like that i love those kind of decks it's just not there here the the format is too powerful like at rare specifically for you to be able to grind and play a long game with commons and uncommons it just doesn't work right so you end up losing to like the red green aggro deck on turn 20 because they draw their rare or whatever and it just it just doesn't work uh to do stuff like that so yeah um green has got to be aggressive so uh it's not that good at being aggressive in my experience it's fine if it's really open but it's not it's it's bad all right so we're skipping back to the draft here after that little interlude i I took blood petal solvent i think moving forward we should go with thirst for discovery since that's what siggy wanted to take so let's assume that we took thirst for discovery okay moving on to pack one pick two see the following cards as options again another stinker of a pack here best commons that stand out grisly ritual uh five and a black sorcery destroy target creature planeswalker make two blood tokens fine removal spell i think you're hoping to not pick it quite this high there's drog skull infantry one in a white for a two two with disturb three and a white or on the backside gives your creature plus two plus two chill the grave only blue card in the pack to match up with our card draw spells two and a blue for the instant costs one less to cast if you control a zombie tap target creature doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step and you draw a card and then moving on to the uncommons, the only really good one is Reclusive Taxidermist, one on a green for a 1-2, gets plus 3, plus 2, as long as there are four more creature cards in your graveyard, and you can tap to add one mana of any color to your mana pool. What do you like out of this junkie pack, Siggy? So if you asked me at the beginning of the format, it would be easy Reclusive uh, Taxidermist, but I have learned my lesson with blue-green, so at this point I would take <laughs> uh, Drug Skull Infantry, I think. Uh, it's Again, there's you can defend any number of picks in this pack. Um, and I think you, I, I think any of them would be, would be fine, but I, I think white's actually actively, actively good to great in this format. So I'm, I'm happy to like kind of bias myself towards that here. Sweet. I'm two, uh, one, <laughs> one for two now. Let's at least I'm on the board. I do want to ask both of you, I think a question about chill of the grave. Cause I have basically only liked that in blue red spells as like a cantrip that triggers the Kessig flame breathers and the raconteur. I don't really like it elsewhere. I know Ben for a, there was a time. I don't know if that's, that's still the case where you liked this in blue black. Yeah, I think it's awesome in blue black. It's very powerful when it costs two mana. Yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah, it is the I think it's the second or third top blue common according to the 17 lands data. And so that makes me feel like ah, I should probably bump it up. But I just haven't loved it or maybe slash haven't found room for it in blue black. But yeah, maybe I should uh, just slide it on over to the two drop slot in that deck. I think if you have zombies, it's actively good. That has been my experience. I've played it 
almost every time I've gotten it, but I don't take it very high. I mean, they, they just seem to float around forever. So, I, and I don't want a deck yeah. that's a bunch of them, especially if I end up in like a control deck or whatever. It's, it's okay. I've played it in my control decks. It's fine. It buys you time and lets you set up. Right. It's okay. But uh, I'm definitely not looking to take it like, especially after Thirst, I'm not committed to whatever. I'm just going to treat this like a pick one, pack one or whatever. So I'm going to take whatever I think the best card is, which is barely Drug Skull Infantry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I did also select Drog Skull Infantry here. So we've now got a Thirst and a Drog Skull Infantry in our pile. And we're moving on to pack one, pick three. See the following cards as options. In white, there's another Drog Skull Infantry. In blue, in the uncommons, there's Whispering Wizard. Three and a blue for the three, two. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, make a one, one white spirit creature token with flying. And that ability triggers once each turn. And then uncommons, also Sanguine Statuette. One in red for the artifact. When ETBs, you make a blood token. And whenever you sack a blood token, you can have Sanguine Statuette become a 3-3 vampire artifact creature with haste until end of turn. I think those are really probably the only cards in consideration in the pack. Um, Siggy, if you see anything else, feel free to point it out. Uh, nope. That's, that's, I, I think this is a very clear pick for me. But uh, as you've drafted it, I agreed with your pick. But, or, somewhat. I think Whispering, <laughs> I think Whispering Wizard is, is, is quite strong. Uh, I've, I have had varying success with it. Like I may still just think it's better than it actually is um, because it is hard to tap out for Whispering Wizard on turn four and then untap or whatever. But the times you do, the game gets very easy to win. So, uh, and, and there's a lot of one mana spells that you can pair with it. I had a blue black deck that had three of them and I had like two, one or two Undying Malice that were just excellent uh, to go with it. Oh yeah, that's a great way to protect it. Yeah, and I mean, there is... Thing you can do at six mana too. You can kind of treat it as a six drop and, and pair it with Cradle of Safety or uh, Adamant Will. Yeah, at, uh, yeah, Adamant Will is probably what I was thinking. Yeah, so like I, I when I take Whispering Wizard, I do try to. I mean, I kind of try to do this anyways, but I want to have a nice lean curve and kind of treat that as my like five or six drop uh, and steer away from anything that's expensive at that point. But. Yeah, I think Whispering Wizard is just too powerful uh, to, to not take here. Yeah, I selected Drog Skull Infantry initially around, and I have since this draft come up on Whispering Wizard quite a bit. I think it's better than I thought it was and more viable in more color pairs than just blue-red, and that's kind of how it was in my head before. So definitely on board with the Whispering Wizard pick now. Nice. So you got Drog Skull Infantry, Whispering Wizard, and Thirst for Discovery in your pile. Yep, moving on to pack one, pick four. I see the following cards as options. This is a much better pack. Uh, in blue, we've got Lantern Bearer again. Blue for the 1-1 one, one with Flying, Disturb, 2 and a blue. Best white card in the pack, Griff Rider, 2 and a white for a 2-1 with Flying and Training. There's Gluttonous Guest, 2 and a black for the 1-4. When it ETBs, you make a Blood Token, and whenever you sacrifice a Blood Token, gain 1 life. There's a Flame Blessed Bolt. Red Instant deals 2 damage to our creature Planeswalker. If that creature Planeswalker would die this turn, exile it instead. Ceremonial Knife, love this card. One mana artifact equipment. Equipped creature gets plus one plus zero and has whenever this equipped creature deals combat damage, make a blood token. Equip cost of two. The grind in the format, Blood Fountain, black <laughs> for the artifact. When ETBs you make a blood token. Three and a black, tap, sack blood token, return up to two target creature cards from your graveyard to your hand. And late build around rare here. Dying to serve, two and a black for the enchantment. Whenever you discard one or more cards, create a tapped two two black zombie creature token. This ability triggers only once each turn. Before we get into what you think the pick is here, Siggy, I'm curious about your thoughts on Ceremonial Knife. I'm not very big on it. It's fine. Uh, I played. I've, I've played it in the decks like I described the all one drop type decks, uh, especially especially with Lantern Bearer. But I haven't 
I honestly haven't played with it that much. It does kind of fit into that category for me where it's not going to be worth a card uh, in the late game a lot, um, especially in the kind of decks that I like to draft that are uh, a little more open and mid-rangey than... uh, When I end up on a a deck that's a bunch of one-drops and stuff, it's because I happen to end up taking a bunch of Lantern Bearers early or something like that because of weak packs. It's not because I'm necessarily going into a draft going, turn pick one Lantern Bearer, I'm just going to force Lantern Bearer deck or whatever. So I I end up with mid-range decks more often than most people, I think. And mm-hmm. then the knife just doesn't fit as well in those, I don't think, uh, just because it's not really doing much until the, the mid to late game. And I'd rather have more powerful things to be doing. So out of this pack, do you stick with your two blue picks and take a lantern bearer to get deeper into blue? Or are you just going to make a raw power consideration here? Definitely raw power consideration. I'm going to, I would take uh, flame blessed bolt. I'll make sure I don't mess up the name there. <laughs> um, I have a thirst, I have the, the wizard and, uh, now I can have the shock, the magma spray. That's what it is, right? Magma spray reprint, uh, yeah, to, to go, with, to go with the wizard. Um, so I can kind of steer myself in a blue red direction. I just think it's the best card in the pack. I haven't to, uh, full disclosure. I have not played with the rare yet and it looks pretty good. I just don't have a setup for it yet. So I'm not, I'm not going to try to like push myself in that direction at this point. I'm just going to take the what I consider the best card in the pack that also goes very well with the the two cards I'm most attached to uh, that I've drafted so far. Yeah, that makes sense. Checks out with me. So Flame Blessed Bolt here for Sigris. Moving on, we'll do one more pick here, I think. Pack one, pick five. See the following cards as options. There's a Stitched Assistant in the pack. Two and a blue for the three, two with Exploit. Whenever it exploits a creature, you scry one, draw a card. There's Sigarder's Imprisonment. Two and a white for the Aura. Enchant Creature, Enchanted Creature can't attack or block. And you can pay four and a white to exile Enchanted Creature and then make a Blood Token. There's Courier Bat, two and a black for the 2-2. When it ETBs, if you gain life this turn, return up to one target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. There's a Runebound Wolf, one and a red for a 2-2, three and a red, tap, and Runebound Wolf deals damage equal to the number of wolves and werewolves you control to target opponent. And there's also Catapult Fodder, two and a black for the 1-5 at the beginning of combat on your turn. If you control three or more creatures with power, toughness, or greater than their power, you transform this into the 2-6, then they can tap, uh, pay two and a black to throw creatures' butts at your opponent's face. All right, so two blue cards, a white card, and a red card in the pile. What do you like out of this pack? Um, this, again, is pretty clear for me. Uh, I would just take Sigarda's Imprisonment. It's just, in general, the best card. I, I like removal a lot in this format. There's a lot of busted creature rares and stuff that I want to be able to deal with. Catapult fod- Fodder is a pretty good card. Um, but again, we don't... In that direction, and not, not that I would take it anyways, but that's the only other card that I think is like even up to snuff here. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I like the, the white card. And then you can probably kind of push down... Maybe blue-white auras disturb. I mean, Sigard's Imprisonment triggers your Whispering Wizard, so that all makes sense to me. All right, sweet. That gives us, I think, a good look into your draft process. So any big picture thoughts on Vow as a format? I mean, I think the the word on the street is that it's full of powerful rares, and you've alluded to that already. Mm -hmm. Does that change how you draft at all, knowing that you're going to be facing those rares in the late game a lot if you're playing for the late game? Uh, yeah, actually, I, I mean, I, I don't look to necessarily draft super slow decks in this format unless I start out with a good rare. Um, I think that the exception is blue red specifically can turn the corner pretty quickly and it has access to like a variety of counter spells and stuff. So you can kind of compete with those. So if I'm a blue deck, I'm, I'm more willing to be controlled than like, I don't, I, I haven't even found a reason to be black green yet uh, or black white or anything like that. 
So if I'm in blue and I start off in blue and it looks like blue is coming, then I'll still draft a slow deck. But other than that, if I'm not a blue deck, I tend to generally just draft all aggro decks. Um, that if unless I have you know a, a busted rare of my own and maybe I can win long games, then I want to slow the game down and kind of play to that um, or you know hopefully multiple uh, busted rares that I can kind of have win the game for me. Is there so? It- it sounds to me like is blue a color you're maybe biasing towards? Do you do you so I guess multiple questions. One, do you is biasing towards colors something that you integrate into your draft strategy? Or maybe <laughs> certainly biasing away from green perhaps now, but but are you sort of leaning into any of the other four colors more than than the others? No, I don't even think blue is one of the, the top colors. I think I think black, red, and white are all good, um, in my yeah. experience. And and blue is kind of probably the fourth best color. It's more just that mm-hmm. blue can play late games without rares. Um, whereas these other colors t- tend to a good black red deck can, can as well, I guess, uh, because of the, the blood mechanic, you can just grind. And if you have enough removal and, and ways to answer, but the, the, the problem is I find there's a lot of the busted cards in this format are enchantments and stuff. So it's, it's really hard in black red to deal with that kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. So like, I don't bias myself towards blue. I do end up in blue more. I think the blue uncommons are particularly good. I haven't really looked over it. I'm just thinking about it off the top of my head. And I think that I end up taking a fair amount of blue uncommons over weak common packs. So I start in blue and kind of end up landing there. I mean, we even we saw two of them in the draft. There's the two one Drake. There's the Bioloom egg. Like I can, yeah, I can definitely think of a lot of strong blue uncommons off the top. Yeah, and in a format like this where the commons aren't, I mean, the commons aren't bad. There's like good, but the the best commons are just like removal, right? So you end up taking uncommon, like as I see, you 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 end up drafting the packs from the left to right. You just start yeah. with the rare, take the uncommons, and then then you then you're into the commons in the pick four or five uh, category. So uh, when the uncommons are stronger, you, you end up starting there more often. So you can end up end up there more often. So I think I end up in blue more often, even though it's not one of the best three colors. I just end up there a lot. So in your drafting, have you found that there are commons that you find yourself picking over and over again? Maybe like a personal top few commons or personal top few uncommons cards that have consistently been just outstanding for you as far as commons are concerned um and red like yeah i I take the shock extremely high abrade obviously um i've really liked uh i'm looking at it right now blood petal celebrant or whatever has been has overperformed for me as a Mm -hmm. as far as goblin pikers are concerned but i i tend to just take the cheap creatures and removal pretty high uh i guess there's no common that i'm i think is going much later than it should. Maybe uh, Reckless Impulse and the Lantern Bearer. Those cards go a lot later than I think they should. And Reckless Impulse, for anybody that doesn't know that off the top of their head, is the one in a red sorcery, exiles the top two cards of your library, and then you can play them until the end of your next turn. Where where do you like that? Do you just play that in all red decks? Because we were just talking about that in our previous episode. And I said, I think the card is powerful, but I often don't feel like I find room for it or something. And I also interested to hear if you're, you know, you're playing a lot of counter spells sometimes that you, reckless impulse has some tension there too, as well. Doesn't it? It can. Um, in those decks that, that you're having count, uh, that you have, you know, two ish counter spells, I tend not to play more than two. Mm-hmm. It's still in the late game is going to get you one card, right? It's going to cycle sure. um, at, at the worst. 
and then uh, at its best, it's two. So it's not awful. But yeah, no, I, there are decks that, especially, for instance, I recently had a more mid-rangey black-red blood deck, and it wasn't as good in there because I was spending my mana every turn and my curve was good. So it was really hard to find a spot to play it. That said, I had blood tokens and stuff, so discarding it was not a big deal either. Um, right. I tend to play it almost all the time. I've only cut it, I think, once. It, it ends up coming down to finding your best cards, and that's just a really good way to do it. That makes sense. Do you feel like you've got any sort of Siggy secret sauce hidden tech for Vow that you're, you know, you, like you said, you haven't really consumed any content or anything, so you're you're finding and discovering the format on your own. I guess I should put a pin in my first question and ask a follow-up question here, which is, is that how you generally approach formats? You're just like, I want to do this myself. I'm going to figure it out myself. I don't want to, you know, I'm not, do you even like look at the spoiler before drafting or you want to like the the pros that goes in blind? Most of the time I go in blind. Um, I, I do read the cards, especially with like content creation. I, you know, will sure. try to get an idea and stuff like that. But generally for this format, I kind of just, I just opened arena and did a draft and started reading the cards um, and kind of went that went on it like that. And by the you know second draft or third draft, I kind of get I kind of know all the commons, and then I start learning the uncommons and rares and all that stuff. But yeah, I, I don't like to like try to necessarily open this the the, uh, the the previews and and try to figure out what I want to be doing in limited. I, I kind of just like let it come to me, and um, uh, it's more fun for me that way. I guess I just don't want to ruin it or whatever. I don't want to spoil myself, so. Uh, envious of the kinds of players that can do that you know we we've talked to a lot of of various magic players that have that approach and they're all fantastic limited players and i just i'm in awe of that ability yes yeah, i mean it's just it's just fun to do and, and a lot of the formats it's just kind of the same stuff right there's common removal sure. whatever i mean yes the, the the cards fluctuate it's always interesting to see how they design these cards or whatever but um it's just fun to read them that way i guess so back to my initial question, is there any sort of thing that you feel like you've got a, a leg up on or have an edge on in terms of, I feel like I'm doing this and I'm not seeing other people do it on the other side of the battlefield in this format? Not really. Um, like I said, this format is pretty nuts and bolts. It's There's just not room to maneuver too much. It's fast. There's punishing rares. Um, it's kind of, it is like complex and and or whatever, like when you read the cards, but the way it plays out is pretty corsetty, I guess. Not not that many synergies that you need to focus on and all that stuff. Just kind of take the good cards, play them, hope you draw well. All my experience has been best of one arena thus far. So uh, I haven't even gotten to, I haven't even played a sideboard game yet. So I, 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 maybe it would change if I if I moved to MTGO and. And, and start playing best of three. Well, with arena crapping out every other day, you know, <laughs> I, I, is there any other greater insult to a format than saying it's corsetti? Can't. I wonder. I wonder. I don't know. Um, this is probably a great segue to our next section about MTGO versus MTGA. Ben, why don't you do TS up here? Yeah, I think you've been pretty vocal from what I've seen on Twitter about you know the competition of drafts and mm -hmm. opponents being at a much higher level on MTGO than MTGA. So it sounds like for this format, at least you've been playing best of one on arena. Mm -hmm. Dare I ask, like, are you diamond, <laughs> plat, mythic? Where where are you at? I think how I'm much do you play on arena? Diamond one or two right now? I don't I don't know. I th that is all my drafts. I started maybe in bronze. I don't I don't even remember where I started. So yeah, basically I don't think that playing the games in Mythic is necessarily harder. I think what you're seeing when you're playing in Mythic 
is you're seeing the best draft deck at every table play against each other, right? Yes. And it's a lot different than when you're playing on MTGO where you're seeing, you do get to play a little more interpod. It's not that frequent, but it is like more often than not when I play round one, it's against someone I was just drafting with just because we, you know, you're building your deck as you go, you hit play at the same time as that person or whatever. It's, you know, it's something like 50% of the time I'm playing against someone I just drafted with. I notice it. I, I check out who's in my drafts to see if there's any ringers in there. But yeah, so I, it just, it isn't uh, the same experience in my opinion. It's kind of like playing, I don't know, not, I don't want to say cube battle box or something like that. You just like all your decks are way more powerful on average on arena than they are on MTGO. I don't want to say it's harder to win a lot on MTGO, it's harder. To, it, it is much harder to train wreck on arena. You're almost always going to have a good deck if you're a good drafter, and that's kind of where uh, where I stand on it. And that the, the experience to me is more genuine on MTGO. My guess is I know the answer to the question, but I'm mm-hmm. going to ask it anyway. So then, why aren't you playing on MTGO? Oh, this time just speed. I just wanted to, to get games in and, and learn the cards, and I, I want to act. I really like best of one. I, I, I mean, I know a lot of people won't say that. I like best of one. It's it's for, for fun. I, I've said that since day one when I used to stream uh, stream my my runs to Mythic One. Uh, I, I always said I like best of one. It's just different, and and that's that's where the the, dis, the disconnect is. Is we see like the seventeen lands data, which is awesome, but I tend to not buy into it as much because it's kind of just looking at it a different format to me than on MTGO. Um, and I was, I was especially vocal about it leading into Worlds this year because I was helping Sam Party and Paulo Unlimited a little bit, and I kind of just didn't agree. So and and, and had some expertise at the time because I was focusing on it. Uh, that I wanted to share. I don't actually think Luminarch, whatever it's called, is as good as people are saying it is, or whatever. Oh my god, there's so much to talk about. But I, we, <laughs> we have a we have we we have Lunark veteran a little bit later in the show notes. But I I want to ask. I mean, we haven't have in, in the show notes. But can you give us a little insight on what it's like helping people test for limited? So like you're not playing in worlds, but Sam and Paulo have asked you as an expert to help them test for worlds. What is that process like? How do you contribute? to their success. Um, so what I did this time and in general, when we, when we help each other is uh, I would just post, um, I used MTGO specifically at this point because it was the most thing that was going to be most like what they were doing playing in pod drafts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would just post uh, various uh, decks, records, thoughts on what happened in the draft, um, individual cards, what my experiences were uh, with them were like. And I probably put like, I don't know, somewhere between 10 and 20 decks on there. Um, I started out doing every deck that I drafted. And then I kind of, you know, when the, when the deck started to look the same, I didn't need to keep going over. This is what a blue, good blue light deck looks like. Then the two days before the tournament or whatever, we just did a limited meeting um, and went over all the pick one pack ones that you might face. We, we organized all the rares and uncommons and stuff and kind of put, put them in a tier list. And uh, where you should select them. I posted it on Twitter at some point. The uh, the tier list for the oh, last nice. set. Uh, it was the thing was it was kind of a consensus between me and Sam, and me and Sam have me and Sam are notorious in our testing house for disagreeing about a lot of things in limited. He likes 
tons of vanilla bad creatures and I don't. So, <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Savage. Savage. Yeah. He likes getting scrappy more than I do. I just want, you know, good clean magic. And he's, he's trying to get the most out of every card. God bless him. Well, I think that leads us pretty nicely into your drafting philosophy. So you don't like crappy, scrappy vanilla creatures, but you do sort of, you are sort of notorious for being someone who likes, you know, maybe, maybe not even mid range, but, but on that, that spectrum of control, getting to the late game, you know, that, that concept of just flipping your deck up and seeing who's would beat the others or like, you know, how those cards would match up with each other. So was this always your philosophy? Is this just something that came up, about initially in terms of what you liked in magic or has this been something you've sort of you know refined over the years so it, it's probably learned from old draft formats like like my first ever draft was probably like revised fourth edition and ice age or something and the cards were not very good then so the games were always long and whoever had the best cards won it was pretty simple um and uh that kind of Maybe I just kind of learned it through, throughout the pro. Like I played a lot of Mercadian Mass draft, which I don't know if you guys have ever done. It's just five, four and five mana, two, three creatures that just stare at each other for a long and then completely busted commons and not very many strong rares. Um, so it, it is just a weird thing that I just got comfortable playing long games um, and kind of intuitively uh, in newer draft formats can see how to get there. If that makes sense, like uh, like mm-hmm. I can draft my deck in a manner that oh this is going to line up well against this you know prolific common and this and this and this and kind of just sculpt my, my my deck around the concept of if my deck looks like this and and I'm I'm kind of always trying to make it look one way like a certain uh, archetypes and that's why this this format's a lot different it's not like that right it's like my decks look always look different but yeah so I just like to make sure that. Basically, all of my cards individually can do something in the late game um, and that I can slow the game down. So cheap removal. Uh, I like cards like two mana, three, three defender, <laughs> like that kind of stuff that can make the games drag on. Um, but then also trade off for other cards later and then just kind of win with card advantage and stuff. I don't I do love a good synergistic deck as long as it's consistent. Um, but like aggro decks, I've found in general it's very easy if you want to beat an aggro deck and limited to beat them without uh, if they don't have a lot of super busted aggro cards. And there's just so few of those uh, beating two ones and three ones with, with combat tricks and, and a removal spell. That's pretty easy. All I have to do is cast spells early. If I'm casting spells early, you know, their decks, they're going to start drawing two mana creatures and I'm going to start drawing four mana creatures and my creatures are going to win in that. As a lover of best of one, do you, do you find that that changes at all? In best of one that like you know that the hand smoother sort of juices aggro decks a little bit and they're perhaps a little less easy to beat or you're like nah my, my two mana three threes will get the job done yeah i mean the aggro decks definitely get a little better because they don't flood out as much like you can get away with especially if the people who that's the thing is it depends on where you are on the ladder at this point sure the name of the site is 17 lands people are still playing 17 <laughs> lands and they're and they're aggro decks in best of one despite the the hand smoother or maybe they're playing too few lands or whatever. Uh, there's just a lot of mistakes that a lot of people will make in terms of the deck building. But yeah, like uh, they'll definitely flood out less in best of one uh, if they're building their deck correctly and stuff. So that it definitely is slightly more, it is more of a challenge. It's also tough because 
I keep looking at like, I think it's called End the F- Festivities in this set. Yeah. And I'm like, I want to main deck this, but it's just so bad in, in some places. But it looks like it might be good. There's a lot of one toughness stuff, but and I just don't get to play with it because I'm playing best of one because it's rare that I want to include it in my deck. Best of one does make it a little bit more of a challenge. Yeah. Which is another reason I like to play. If I'm playing best of three, it's going to be on MTGO. If I'm playing, if I'm just trying to look to play, you know, one game here and there, it's going to be on arena, of course. So I have another follow-up question for you on your draft philosophy. It sounds like you learned it many, many years ago. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like it has gotten harder to do or worse as limited has changed more and more in the last five or six years? Because I do feel like threats have gotten a lot better in limited and synergy has been ratcheted up, you know, especially in the last three, four years of limited, you know, we've had a lot of great synergistic sets. Do you feel like your approach gets outdated at all? Or do you still think time in and time out, you're able to go back to tried and true two for ones, you know, good removal, good late game. It's, it's, it fluctuates from format to format. Um, but in general, the, the formats that I think are deep, like midnight hunt, I thought I th- yeah. felt like it, it worked totally fine in that format. In this format, it's worse because of the level of rares and the lack of. There's a lot of good removal, and the card advantage is good in this format. It, there's just not like the the, the, the removal is expensive. The the creatures are a little bit better. I don't know. It, there, there's a lot of two for ones in the creatures with the uh, the disturb mechanic. If I don't have a rare, it's going to be hard for me to win long games. So yeah, it really varies format to format, and. Again, it's not like I always try to draft control or whatever. I'll do what's going to get me wins in general. Well, that's, I guess, also not. I'll do what's going to get me wins <laughs> wins if I care about winning, which is like where the incentive, like if my incentive, if, if I'm more trying to draft to have fun, I'm just going to goof around and like try cards and try things and that kind of stuff. But if I'm trying to win, like if it's a premier event or something like that, then um, I'm going to do whatever the format kind of wants me to do uh to get that win percentage uh so at that point though for for anything that i really care about winning i generally have drafted you know at least 30 to 50 times before the draft before the actual first draft of whatever the premier event is sure and it sounds like so you're being flexible from format to format do you feel like different formats offer different tools to mid-range or control decks so you know, as opposed to maybe card draw spells in this format, you've got blockers that give you virtual card advantage or like, have you developed broader categories for the types of decks you like to draft where, you know, okay, this is the type of format where I really need, you know, draw twos, draw threes and removal. And in this format, I need virtual card advantage more via blocking or that sort of thing. Um, it's kind of, no, it's all, it's all kind of, it's more. So like one thing that varies is, uh, I, I, I have noticed is uh, life gain can vary. It, it's more common now than it was like incidental life gain and li- like various common lifelink creatures and stuff like that uh, have actually helped the strategy a little bit, adding gain to life onto whatever, that kind of stuff. But it, it's pretty much I start in that one spot and kind of just see where the format goes. And then once I've learned the format, whichever one it is, that's I, I'm going to I'm going to see how I'm going to see how far I can push. Uh, going slow uh, before I before I see how far I'm going to steer down the aggro lane. I mean, and that is even when, you know, like after a week of the format, if everyone's like, oh, this format's super aggressive, blah, blah, blah. I'm still going to try to go slow uh, until I, I'm confident it doesn't work. Man, I love to hear that. I feel like aggro is like 
the name of the game these days. And I really like hearing that different perspective because that's also where my like preferences lean is like, I like a long game. I don't know if Ben is the same. Ben, I love your story of why you used to draft control decks. I think it's worth retelling uh, on the pod here. <laughs> yeah. So I, I initially started as a control player at heart, but it was self motivated or self selfish of me so I, I was playing on mtgo much like all three of us i'm sure back in the day of pod drafts and if i drafted control my goal was always to be the last person done with the round <laughs> so that i didn't <laughs> have great. to wait yeah. in between rounds and if i ever had like menial tasks to do around the house like laundry or whatever then i would draft aggro because i could like, <laughs> play my match and then like go do my laundry for a little bit come back and play round two <laughs> yeah that it sounds like uh what a lot of people probably do with their like arena gold bonus. Oh, it says white and red spells. So I'm going to draft white and red. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. So l- let's talk about, about one drops here, specifically more Twitter drama about <laughs> Lunark veterans. This is a one man, one, one in white in the last set. Uh, whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, you gain a life. And then it uh, had disturbed for one and a white as a one one flyer. Whenever a creature leaves the battlefield under your control, you gain a life. And, you know, Siggy came out the gate with his tweet about, I don't know why my opponents keep casting this card. And then, boom, magic Twitter erupted (laughs) in a discussion about this one drop. Uh, Siggy, do do, do you feel like your opinion ever changed about this card? It sounds like not. It sounds like you're still in the camp of, nah, this this card isn't that good. So... My opinion was always this. It was just like, it's a supporting synergy card that was fine. But like my opponents kept casting it on turn one and then following it up with like the Kessig Wolf that made things not block and then like just playing it in their aggro deck. And in a deck like that, it's just a one mana one one that doesn't really like, it doesn't have enough reach. I don't know. It it, it was just too lackluster. Where it shined was blue-white Disturbed decks that were really hard into blue-white, black-white Sacrifice, that kind of thing. But um, I would like draft a black-white deck and be like, oh, you know what? Lumark Veteran would be awesome in this deck. Oh, didn't get one. And then I'd just 3-0 anyways. It, it wasn't like the card was crucial to anything. And uh, basically, like people just, I mean, it was almost every match. Someone was just one mana, one, one. And I'd be like, two mana, two, two. And then they wouldn't do anything with it except gain seven life. And then eventually I would just kill them with some rare. They'd be at 32, but... It didn't matter because their cards didn't do anything. They didn't trade for anything. So I don't know. I never said the like the card. The point of the tweet, I guess, was just me going. I can't believe so many people are playing one mana one ones these days. That was kind of the the thing, and then it kind of turned into oh, Siggy thinks this card is bad. I wasn't necessarily what I was trying to say. I was just saying the card needed context. And uh, that's when I think Sam chimed in and said, oh, actually, it's the 17 lands most winning is common. And that's kind of where my pushback was, was yeah. I understood like that makes sense to me that it would be because it is a pretty good card in a deck that has good support. But if you're spending early picks on a card on a one mana one one and you end up with a deck that's a bunch of one mana one ones and whatever, it's really hard to win uh, in a form like when I can just play a bird archer and then you'd sit there and stare at it because you didn't take a removal spell. You took a one mana one one that's just going to sit there and stare at it. So like that's kind of where my beef was, uh, was just like, <laughs> you know, this the stats don't necessarily determine when I, I actually have a good story about where me and Sam disagreed on something too. I don't know if I've, I don't even know if we've ever discussed this. Maybe we did. We might've been on the podcast, but there was a format, uh, what was it? Dragons of Tarkir, maybe? There was a card, Coat with Venom. It was like plus one, plus two, Death Touch, one mana. 
And I remember their team or whatever was really high on it. It was first picking and stuff. And I was just like, I don't understand why, because this card has like a lot of diminishing returns and you're just going to get them 13th pick. It's good to note when a card is good, but that doesn't mean you need to take it really high. You should still be kind of adjusting yourself to everyone else's pick orders and when you need to get stuff uh, because they were taking it over flatten, which was just like the generic format or removal spell in the format. And I just thought it was wrong. So I, yeah, I, I discussed that with him. But we, we've kind of had this this pushback between when uh, you know how good a card is and when you should take it. I guess. Yeah, it's, I mean, we we talk about this a lot in terms of like I mean, I think there's a problem in this format in terms of some of Black's tops commons or maybe Black's top three commons are all four drops: bleed dry, diagraph scavenger, and socialite. But that doesn't mean you can't take them as number one, number two, number three common because then you end up with ten four drops. Exactly. And yeah, it's just, it's it's more about kind of picking up value where you can. And noting that a card is good is good, uh, but it doesn't mean you need to adjust your pick order too drastically. It just means you, you should be, I guess, averaging taking it one pick before everyone else, right? Like as long as you're getting value every pick, like I'm making a better decision than this person and you want your deck to look a certain way. It's not just about win percentage, whatever. It's about actually drafting a deck. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I think like one of my things is like we just talk a lot about I mean, obviously it's limited. We talk about limited. We're making limited content. We talk a lot about the commons, but the things that really are important and limited to me. So one thing I noticed and we discussed in leading up to worlds was that green was like the worst color, whatever. But if you looked at mm-hmm. green, all of the rares were bangers. So if it was open, you could just draft green and get past three rares. And they were all, you know, you're going to have a pretty good deck, which is why I really liked green. I, 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 I didn't look at it like I didn't look at the spoiler and figure it out or anything. I just happened to notice when I was drafting green, I always had two, two good rares in my deck. And then we looked at it and we're like, wow, yeah, the green rares are all really good. And that's like something really important to know. Mm. Because in like if you look at it in this format, the rares aren't all that good uh, in green. And that's a problem. No. Uh, I think the best uncommon in the set might be green, though. Ooh, what's that? I think it's Dormant Grove. That card is mess, messed up. That card is a beating, yeah. That, that I had it for the first time the other day, and I played against it for the first time today or whatever, and I was like, what if this card is just stupid? <laughs> it's yeah. a common or uncommon Citadel Siege or whatever. So yeah, like I think that's stuff that um, we should focus on more than just what common to take or whatever, um, is looking at the overall picture of the color deeper than just common. Because a lot of the times what we used to do and we were guilty of is we would look down, like we would look, we would uh, take screenshots of all the commons and be like, look how weak white is. White has, you know, only two decent commons and all the rest of them are, are bad. But when all the uncommons or rares are good, that it leads white to being a pretty good color when it's open because you're going to get all those uncommons and rares. On the same vein, I have another question for you, uh, similar to the Lunark veteran discussion. So put it in the context of Val, because I'm just curious where your head is at. So, I think the the three best white commons are Traveling Minister and then Fierce Retribution, which is the, the one on a white instant speed destroy target attacking creature. You can cleave it for six to destroy a creature. And then also Sigarda's Imprisonment, the uh, pacifism variant, the two in a white can't block, and then you can exile it for four in white. Mm-hmm. Are you picking those two removal spells ahead of Traveling Minister? Because I, personally, I am on Traveling Minister. I think it's a really powerful synergistic tool for all the white decks yeah i'm definitely ta- I, I take them both way over minister i don't yeah, a minister might be my third best i don't know again it's a one mana one one issue like when i draw the card in the middle of the game it's it is very good on turn one 
but again, it's like I'm trying to play longer games in general and or, and leave myself flexible early, I think is the issue. You can draft that card, end up in white, and have it not be very good or playable in your deck. And I, I just don't want to do that. Because if, if you end up in a... I've had... I had a white-red control deck in this format not too long ago. I happened to open or get past two like completely busted red rares and um, like another white rare or something. I just had three like mythic rare busted card quality things. And I just had a bunch of removal and those cards and just clean 7-0, very easy. Didn't have to worry about anything. I had reckless impulses and stuff like that. And I believe I had like two traveling ministers in my sideboard because I just didn't have enough creatures for them. I, I, I'm going to uh, definitely just end up taking the card that's more flexible early. And even if it's ceiling isn't as high uh, a lot of the times, I just want the floor on my cards to be pretty high. Right. That's what I was going to ask you. So do you think there's any merit to the idea that, you know, you and I could be drafting different ways. You know, you've got your system where you're taking the removal and you, the way you want to draft lends that removal to being better for you on average, but that a person could draft in such a way to where they took traveling minister and were drafting towards traveling minister being great, whether it's through, you know, synergies like Heron of Hope in white is a pretty powerful combination or, you know, it pumping your training cards to make them their power bigger or black, white life gain, maybe to turn on your courier bat. Like traveling minister is a very synergistic card in the format. Do you think that's feasible for somebody to go down or do you think it is a mistake to take the traveling minister it's not a mistake definitely not a mistake i i, I would i would definitely if you're especially if you're in like you know the arena open uh next what is it next week the week after um it's the same day as the pt and i don't even know that's pretty embarrassing uh <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah if you're like playing in a in a high stakes event or whatever um you should definitely lean into your biases. You shouldn't steer away from them uh, for sure. Like this is, you know, an opportunity to, to, you know, make money, uh, qualify for the pro tour, whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish. I think you should definitely lean into your biases. And if you are just, you know, goofing around, whatever, maybe try to steer away from them more. But I do think that you can look at a pack and, and there's a right pick for me and a right pick for you. Absolutely. hundred percent. I've always said that, uh, that like, I'm going to draft my way. It doesn't necessarily make it the right way. I don't think that like, again, you're looking to draft the deck. And if you know how to, if you know what a good aggro deck looks like, then, but you don't necessarily know what a good mid range deck looks like, then just draft the aggro deck. Like it's fine. It's fine to, to lose whatever it is. 1% win percentage on 17 lands to try to draft the deck that, you know, you know how to draft and play and all that stuff because it's not, again, it's not all just about the drafting either. That's the most fun part, but uh, you got to play the games and you got to know, know how your cards work and like all that kind of stuff too. So, and so in that same vein, you've touched on this a little bit, but so something like the arena open, it sounds like day two might be pod play. Is that true? The draft arena open. Did I see that somewhere? I don't think that's true. That's not true. So, or even like a premier level event, you know, you're at a GP day two or MTGO, you're playing in pod back in the day. Is there something to be said for the idea that, you know, you've you've touched on arena is not quite real compared to the sense of MTGO. And I think I agree, like drafting in pod and playing your decks in pod is a totally different experience Mm -hmm. at a high level event than it is, you know, trying to climb up the ladder, grinding best of one on arena. Does picking removal so that other people don't get that removal go up in value there too? Does that enter it all into your equation or do you think that's a holdover from that time at all no i don't think i don't think necessarily like blocking the removal or whatever is something i'm thinking about uh, uh actually i think sperling tweeted something about that recently 
that I found interesting. And, and honestly, the concept never even really came into my mind about that, which is weird for someone who's team drafted as much as I have. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, it's more just I want to be able to go any direction. So it's I, I want my my early picks to be more flexible and and kind of just even splashable, right? Like uh, depending on what the format is, like there's formats where I'll take a, an arrest type card, like the one we have in this format, imprisonment, uh, cigar is imprisonment. And, you know, a lot of formats, you can just take that and be pretty sure you're going to put it in your deck because you're either going to end up in white or, you know, it's very easy to splash something like that and when you want to. So I, I just generally, instead of trying to high roll and get the, the perfect aggro deck, uh, I want to make sure that my cards are flexible and can, can fit in a lot of places early. And then that's when you kind of steer in a direction. Like when you get a really good gold, um, I'm trying to, I'm blanking on the name. I'm so bad with names. The uh, From the last set, the 3-3 three, three haste thing that put counters when it changed from night to day. Uh, when you get that pick four, and I already started out with like a red removal spell and a, a white removal spell. And then that, then I'll just start, you know, slamming down the aggro path. Oh, Sunrise Cavalier, right? Yeah, it, it's really, I just don't want to start with a card that can be a zero in, in some decks. I just want to start with a generically good card. Well, to me, and I, not to like beat a dead horse here, I just want to defend Traveling Minister's Honor. To me, it's not, <laughs> it's not necessarily about aggro. It's more about synergy than it is yeah, like raw card it. quality. I agree that the removal spells are better in a vacuum. This is my issue with Traveling Minister um, recently anyways, uh, is that... It is something, it, it is a synergistic card. And this is actually kind of a problem with all green-white uh, synergy things that they've tried to do. I'm, I'm doing air quotes. Obviously, you can't see them. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're kind of susceptible to what your opponent, how your opponent's interacting. Um, if you play against the, like, Traveling Minister looks a lot worse when you play against someone who has, you know, six removal spells in their deck and decent creatures, right? Because if they can... Like on its own, if, if if my opponent plays turn one traveling minister, my game plan in my head is already, oh, let's just strand them with the minister, right? Like I'm, I'm going to trade off creatures as much as I can. I'm going to I'm going to do what I can to make it so that that minister be, stays as a one mana one one that taps to gain a life. It's going to be a soul warden or whatever, or not soul warden, soul mender. That's what it was called, right? Yeah. So like that becomes my game plan because that card alone, it, like when it's just left on the bo- on the battlefield, is not going to do it. But when it's got, when you have a bunch of creatures and stuff, yeah, then it's then it's kind of firing on all cylinders, and your your deck's kind of uh, a well oiled machine at that point. Um, but I'd rather be the one on the other side who's you want to be the person that's trying to disrupt that. Yeah, that yep. makes sense. It's the same idea about knife. I get the ceremonial knife is like if you can just kill all the creatures, then you've effectively made your opponent mulligan because knife isn't doing anything. And I think the same thing could be said for minister too. Yep. That's it's kind of whereas like the lantern bearer is a lot different. Uh, there, there, there's there's a thing to be said about so there's a lot of one. I don't know maybe it was just an early. Uh, it may not actually be true, but I, I've kind of noticed a lot of one toughness creatures. I don't know if there's if that's necessarily true or whatever. But um, if a one mana one one can trade and then come back and do something something like a uh, a, a lunark veteran, that's pretty good. I just didn't notice that as many one toughness creatures in the last format, which made the veteran much worse in combat. But Lantern Bearer's uh, backside is much more powerful than Lunark Veterans was. Uh, I've I've won a number of games just discarding that to a blood token and, you know, attacking for nine in the air with whatever my big goofy werewolf was that I had in play. 
All right, I have one more analogy here that I want to throw at you to try to, to, try okay. to sell you on this. <laughs> so you, you're a basketball fan, yes? Uh, somewhat. Oh, I, th- I thought I've seen you tweet about the Warriors and things, maybe the Warriors game. A long time ago. I, I Since COVID hit, I haven't watched really many sports. I don't know what it was about. Like It was like I tried to watch when stuff started up again, but then there was just so many like players out with COVID, blah, 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 that it kind of soured on me, I guess. But Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. So here's my case. Like basketball, I think, recently has changed where the three points been yeah. way more valuable, mm-hmm. etc. And, you know, back in the day, you know, in the 90s, 80s, whatever, they're bumping and grinding. Big men, the five mm-hmm. is the most important position, too. <laughs> yeah. And now basketball is all threes. Steph Curry's running around. Dame mm-hmm. Lillard dropping dimes. I feel like that has happened with limited a little bit to where, like, back in the day, there was removal, two for ones, card advantage. You know, that's how you win games of limited. And I feel like limited recently has shifted towards synergy being more important is there is there any world where you think that limited has changed and you're still like shooting twos while the rest of the limited community is shooting threes or are you, wow. are you pretty confident that the two's still good he's our guest ben he's our guest <laughs> yeah go easy on me i'm not that bad yet no um no i i, I love synergies and stuff they just have to be not as all in that's the thing i want my cards to do stuff independently and there's a lot of synergies that uh, the designers at Watsi have come up with that that do that, uh, and or, or like I'll call them like soft synergies or something like just cards that kind of work well together um, that don't necessarily you don't need to move all into. Um, I do like the all in synergy decks, but they have to be consistent. The problem is I don't want to train wreck, right? And sure. I I feel like when I'm First picking, first picking traveling minister, and then let's say I get past a really good white uncommon, but the person to my right took a really good white rare, and then I notice white starting to you know not be there as much. But I started in white, and like there's enough there that I'm kind of still in there, and I just have this traveling minister, and it's just it, as a standalone card, pick one, pack one. It's just too weak um, to kind of carry me to, to wins in those situations. So I I, I want to make sure that um, basically my early cards can kind of be my support color, if that makes sense. Like I can splash, I can be like, I took the imprisonment. So now I can just be like this, this heavy uh, black kind of blood deck. White wasn't there, but I still have three white removal spells and like one good white creature and I'm fine um, because black was so open or whatever. Uh, It's just kind of, I want my, if it's not a busted rare, and I'm completely the opposite with busted rares, by the way. I think people move away from busted rares way, well, at least I see people tweeting about it or talking about it. Like, uh, I think it was Ryan Sachs uh, tweeted something the other day about uh, the red-green werewolf thing. And he had like, you know, three or four red cards and green cards. And then it was like pick six. And he and there was the egg was there, the bioloom egg. And he was like, how often do you think you move away from that? And, and my honest answer is almost never. I mean, I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to take the egg, but I'm not I'm not anticipating ever playing it. It's just there in case I high roll and like I get past another one and then get past two exploit creatures in the next one. And it's like, oh, OK, well, this is really open. So I'm, I'm going to move away from this, you know, super busted rare. But there's. There's almost no way I open a rare like that, pick one, pack one, and don't try to navigate the draft in a way that it's going to end up in my deck in some way, whether it's splashing it um, in, in like a blue-red or a blue-green deck or just kind of forcing red-green. I, I think like when you open cards that are that good, you should just be you should just put the blinders on, pick one, pack one, which is very different from back in the day where it was way more important to stay open 
for a couple of reasons. One, there was way less playables. Uh, now the, the, there's just so many cards that are playable. We use the, the term playable and unplayable a lot, but there's just, everyone kind of has their line right now. Whereas before it was very clear. It was like, yeah, you really can't play this like, you know, one black, like bubbling muck with make your swamps tap for extra black man. Like that card's unplayable. Like some creature that's a little bit below rate is not unplayable. Uh, it's just not good. And uh, when you open the rare, and the rares were worse, they weren't as strong as they are now. There was maybe one rare back then that was as good as like, you know, the best 20 rares now. Yeah. Ben and I are, you know, 17 lands can give you data on like, if you mulligan too much, or do you move away from your pack one, pick one too much? And I definitely move away from my pack one, pick one too much. Oh, I didn't know it could do that. That's really cool. Yeah, it's cool to see that it like compares like to whatever what what winning players do and how how you uh, deviate from that median. Um, so my mulligans are good. I don't mulligan too much, but I definitely move away from my pack one, pick one too much, stay open too much. I think that's so for a set like this. Certainly, it's important to know like these are the cards worth worth holding on to for dear life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, like a lot of the commons are just fine. Like, there's nothing too outrageously good there's no organ hoarders or anything like that right uh so it's just i mean the things that are going to dictate the wins are how often like how well you draw and, and if you draw that, that that one rare you ended up getting so you may as well put it in your deck <laughs> right uh-huh. yeah for sure that checks out and i i was pushing pretty hard there but i i just wanted to try to oh, see, see no what problem. you would fight back i'm a huge fan <laughs> of your content and your draft and, and all of that so likewise yeah definitely didn't want to uh, poke too hard. Well, I think that's going to do it. Siggy, thank you so much for taking time out of your Sunday afternoon to come chat with us and to have Ben abuse you about traveling <laughs> minister. Uh, for folks interesting in, for folks interested in finding you on the internet, where can they check you and your content out? Uh, you can find me at, at mcgris83 and find my articles, which have been a lot more about limited these days at uh, at, at uh, 95mtg.com. Awesome. Sweet. Yeah. Uh, we'll make sure to put links to that in the show notes for people download the show. Uh, ben, why don't you take us out? Yeah. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Great place to wrap us up. Thank you to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to CFB for any and all purchases or signing up for CFB Pro, please use the code LOL when you check out to let them know we sent you there. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to Siggy for joining us, and we will catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.